This is Retake, a show about enjoying the cinematic arts. That includes new films, old films, live-action remakes of old films, pretty much anything that might catch our fancy. I'm TJ. I'll be one of your guides on this cinematic journey. Since I'm running things, you might say that I'm the Cogsworth with this castle. And joining me tonight is our very own Lumiere. It is Joe Darnell. Our reviews are never second best. <laughs> you didn't quite get the uh, the accent going on there, the French. I'm not even going to try. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have two great actors who played the part now who, you know, put their own take on it, and you're just not going to try to copy either one of them. No, no. Both pretty awesome performances. Yes. So yes. I like the original more. Yes. Ooh, did I just get into the details? Oh, you just got into the details. What, what do we think, Joe, about these uh, Disney live-action remakes? How are you feeling about all this? I'm warming up to it. I'm really enjoying it. I liked what they did with Cinderella. I feel kind of, I feel like I was uh, disappointed in a variety of different ways with Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Maybe it was because it was too faithful to the vision of the book. Yeah. And I wanted it to be a little bit more like based on the cartoon film, Mm kind of the approach they took with the beauty and the beast. But this really hit all of the sweet spots. And by this, you mean beauty and the beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this was elegant. I, I would agree, and and I think this is the most faithful uh, to the original classic that they're remaking that they've done thus far. Where I haven't seen Alice in Wonderland. Uh, my wife likes it. I just haven't had the time to see it. I, I don't have anything against it. I just haven't seen it. Uh, sounds like you didn't like it mm. so much. But then you know, then along came Maleficent, and I thought I wouldn't like that. And I actually, oh, I forgot about I that. I really one. liked Maleficent, and it it was more of a. You thought you knew the story. Here's what really happened kind of a thing, which was a good way to go, I thought. It's like, well, we're not really competing for the same space and the same kind of thing. We're showing an alternate telling of the story. And then Mm. Cinderella was in many ways the same thing. It was a remake and it was closer to perhaps what the vision of the cartoon originally – you know, the movie, the cartoon movie originally was. But it was its own thing and very much like it didn't even follow the same story beats. But then you have uh, The Jungle Book, which is, again, a far cry from the original oh, animated yeah. thing. And I, I liked The Jungle Book, and I know that's, a, that's an opinion fraught with difficulties. Um, many people did not, and that's fine. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. And then we come to 2017's Beauty and the Beast remake. And, Joe, I have to tell you, I am in love with this movie. I loved yeah. every part of this movie. I have very few things that I didn't like. And and, and I think uh, you said before we started recording that mostly what you have is nitpicks. And I'm, I'm much, much the same way. I, I love this movie top to bottom. Every part from the minute it came on screen, I just – I got those and, – and perhaps nostalgia plays into this. But I got goosebumps, you know, when the main theme came – da, 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 you know, and, all, and, and yeah, the camera yeah. zooming out past, out of this castle. And it was just really like the whole way the, the thing opened just immediately put me right where I needed to be. The, you know, I'm thinking about all these live action films and the one thing – that is really shocking is just how fast you can make a huge film with the right budget and with the right studio and with the right manpower. And you just think about the night and day difference it takes. Now, back in the old days, it took what almost 10 years to produce the snow white. I think it's something like well, that. Sure, it was, it, yeah, with back an absurd in the 40s. number of hours. Yeah. And then, and then you got all those other classics. And because we were born after they were all, in the vault 
it feels like mm-hmm. they were just always there. Well, like the Peter Pan flick came out right after Alice in Wonderland, which came out right after Robin Hood or something. And I'm sure I'm screwing up the chronological order of the productions. Yeah, yeah. But really, those films took like each one. Each one of them took more than five years. And it took several decades for Disney to accomplish all those classics. And nowadays we're getting live action princess stories every other year or more frequently than that. Yeah, yeah. And and they're not always hitting the mark any more so or less so than they did with the cartoons. Like uh, I was saying with Alice in Wonderland, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I, I understand what they were trying to accomplish with that. And I'm sure it's hitting the mark for a lot of people. It's, it's just it, – it's not my – favorite adaptation like I, I preferred the feel and the style that they were going for with the cartoon version yeah i get that and, and it lost all of that sensibility by trying to be faithful to some interpretation of the original books or something and i never saw maleficent but now i really want to go back and watch it now because uh, sleeping beauty is actually my favorite of the disney classic films because of the production values Ooh, they put into you that may, film you may not like the remake then yeah i i'm hesitant about that i, I just love every little brush stroke and bitty bit of a performance in that film you know the way that you know the way that your mom felt about the original wizard of oz that's the way i feel about the original sleeping beauty yeah maleficent is really it's it's an alternate telling of 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 the of the Sleeping Beauty story, it's not the Sleeping Beauty story. It's almost like here's what you thought happened. Here's what we're telling you actually happened, sort of a thing. Well, this is why Disney bought Marvel so that they could do all the tellings they want in the multiverse. <laughs> well, there you go. You could consider it an alternate reality. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you may not like Maleficent, but that's that's okay. I I, I like it for both of us. So that's my head cannon. So Beauty and the Beast was uh, the new Beauty and the Beast was released on March 17th, 2017. It was directed by Bill Condon, who did such things as uh, Twilight, um, whichever the last two movies were. I, I, I forget the names. Um, the production budget for this film was one hundred sixty million and the worldwide gross was four hundred twenty eight point four million and heading up the cast. We have Emma Watson, our beloved Hermione, has grown up and become a princess in Beauty and the Beast, a Disney princess, wouldn't you know it? And then Dan Stevens from uh, from Legion is playing Beast here. And then you've got uh, Luke Evans, who makes a great guest on. Josh Gad could not be a more perfect LeFou. And then you've got Kevin Klein as Maurice. I dearly loved his performance. Hattie Morahan, I guess that's how you say that, as Agatha. Uh, Ewan McGregor as Lumiere. Uh, Gugu Mabtha Ra, I am terrible at, at names. Uh, plume, Just run with it. Plumette. Uh, Ian McKellen as Cogsworth. Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts. Nathan Mack as Chip. Audra McDonald as Madame Garderobe. And Stanley Tucci as Maestro Cadenza. And then the composer returning <laughs> from the 1991 classic uh, and, and reprising oh. many of his themes is Alan Menken. And what Man, a fantastic amazing. job. I didn't realize did. that. I was wondering because, you know, Disney can plagiarize themselves oh, sure. and get away with it. I wondered if they had just like dug up the old music sheets. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I listened, I listened to them side by side a little bit before the podcast. And, and you can tell the differences. Like the new score sounds more full and filled out and there's a lot more cellos. And, and, but it's, you know, it's the same tunes and the same themes and many of the same songs that we're familiar with from the animated classic. So, uh, Joe, why don't you tell us a little about this story? 
Okay, Disney's animated classic takes... Oh, no, does anybody not know what the story is about? Okay, I'm continuing. <laughs> Disney's animated classic takes on a new form with a widened mythology and an all-star cast. A young prince imprisoned in the form of a beast can be freed only by true love. What may be his only opportunity arrives when he meets Belle, the only human girl to ever visit the castle since he was and it was enchanted. Okay. Okay. So Joe, oh. uh, the first the, – my very first feeling about this film is is I felt like when I was in the theater, it felt like I was watching an extremely elaborate stage play. And I mean that in the best possible way. Yes. Yes. That's what I was thinking too. I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. I, I, and like, it was in I, the best possible way. Yes. It's just like I can't see all the trappings and the wires and the, the sets, but I feel like I'm in a stage play. That's the sensibility you get. And, and there's nothing wrong with a good <sighs> stage play, and I loved it. Did you ever, did you ever watch Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella? No. I have found her. She's an angel. Oh, I'm so glad that the stage life performances of movies today are way better than they were just like a decade ago. Just They feel like it's a bridge between – great Broadway and great cinema because you've got the best worlds of special effects and studio, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, what do you, what do they call it? Practical props and, yeah, yeah. you know, real stuff. And then, and then you got the close up shots of people up close. So they don't have to be constantly yelling across the theater room to be heard and not over overacting. They don't have to overact, but they, it, it molds well. And it, it this especially works when you're doing musicals. Yeah. And this film, I mean, it's when you say musical, like we're not talking necessarily to the level of, of, uh, uh, what was that film? Um, sound of music. No, no, no. What, La La Land. No, the, the completely every, every part of the film was music. Um, uh, oh. Anne Hathaway, um, the terrible performance by, um, Russell Crowe. Oh, Why is don't it? Even bring lame, it lame is, lame is. So it's not on that <laughs> level, but it's, it's definitely, I would call this a musical because it's, you know, most, a lot of it is singing, a lot of it singing about the plot. Um, and, and it just, it's, it's really enchanting, I think is the word that I would use. And, and obviously that's kind of the way the, the animated film was too, but I would say that this is almost more musical than the animated film. Like it feels like all of it is lyrical. And that is yeah. such a great, great thing about this film. I, I, there is no part of this film that that I didn't enjoy, and I didn't enjoy the music. Like some music was better than others. Some there was some new, there were new cues that were brought in, and new uh, lyrics and things like that. But, but it maintained the the classic feel, and even more so. And yet, because it's a real film with real people, um, it felt more grounded, but it still maintains that classic fairy tale feel. Feel. I, I, I just loved it. Okay, so let's uh, dabble a little bit with the controversy. Do you think that this film is on par with the cartoon? Well, um, what do you mean by that? So, and how would you evaluate it? Like, how would TJ put it in his own words? How would TJ put it in his own words? Well, I would say that this maintains all of the of the the, the enchanting feel of a fairy tale of of, of that classic quality that you get from the original animated film but it almost takes it to the next level it for me and and i say this as not having seen the animated film on the big screen so maybe i'm wrong but to me this really kind of envelops you more and brings you into this world and it 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 gave us um things that i wish that the animated film had given us like uh, like 
convincing us that Belle really fell in love with the Beast. Like, that felt so rushed and, and not real in the animated film. And here you get so much more. Like, this is a four, this film is 45 minutes longer. And I think all 45 of those minutes went into the development of Belle and Beast's relationship. So I would say that this, I, I actually, this may be sacrilege to some, and I'm not saying I don't like the animated film, but I think that I like this film better, which I wasn't expecting to say when I walked into that film. Well, they're so close that it would be kind of silly to say that you don't like the one that the other one, you know, for oh, sure. the other one's well, you know, glory. You know? I mean, along those lines, I mean, this film is pretty much beat for beat, um, a remake yeah. of the classic. Now, there's the details are different and there's expanded things, but the vision yes. is the same. And beat for beat, it hits those story points, even if the details are different. So, so for there's a couple of reasons for that. My sister is a Beauty and the Beast buff, and she's familiar with the Broadway performances. She's seen videos, and she's read the book. Um, if it is a book, if it's, if it's not, she just read the screenplay. I'm not sure which it is. And I'm, I'm sure that she's read some other novel adaptation of it, and I'm sure she's also read like – Fiction inspired by Beauty and the Beast that was also modernized and turned into other <laughs> fantasies. Like, you know, this is the kind of fa- uh, fairy tale that has often been exploited. So Disney's another one of those who's just been among those that often exploited Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. But what, one of the things that you'll notice is that there is some that is held in very high regard that oftentimes the movies have mimicked and deliberately spun off of. And when I say the the movies, I'm not thinking of just Disney's versions. There's other versions. And so they kind of play off of each other, kind of like play homage to each other. And then the, the even the songs are playing homages to each other, being similar but different on purpose to give it a different flavor. And my sister was pointing out that some ways in which this is different is to kind of like not change the story, but as you were saying it, to refine it. It just gives it like it helps it in the places where the cartoon version was a little weaker. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's almost like and, they, yeah. they they spent the last um well, gosh, it's been over twenty. Is it twenty five years or so since nineteen ninety one? I'd have to do the math quickly. And I'm not yeah, I'm math. that old. I was six when this film came <sighs> okay. out. Okay, yeah. So so it's like they spent the last twenty five years thinking about how would we make this a better story, but keep it the same story. What would we do? What would we put into that story to really refine it? To really say, boy, this was a weak part how can we beef it up and i and i feel like what we got was a superior version of the story we got we, we filled in some holes we we changed some characters a little bit to fit better i i love so much this version of maurice more much more than the the weird yeah. uh you know goofy cartoon characterization of him this is a this is a maurice that you can identify with like he's he's an artist and he he's a real guy he's not this goofy you know got springy things springing out of his contraptions and different things yeah. going on in the in in the basement and and uh, he, he you know he feels like a real character that you can identify with and i just love him Okay, and again, one of those things that I didn't notice, but I totally appreciated, and I just hadn't contrasted with the cartoon version, but it's there. In the cartoon, Belle is the romantic and loves poetry, and she's always reading, yes, but Maurice is an inventor, a tinkerer, and he is working with his tools on, you know, these uh, cumbersome lugs, you know, and 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 that adds to his kind of like eccentricity. But in this film, it's actually something of a reversal where 
Maurice is an artist and he is creative and imaginative. And so anything that is mechanical is a byword of his his works, yes. his artistic works. Yeah. And on the other hand, Bell is the one who's inventing things. So at the beginning in the town that's, uh, you know, quaint, they, they're washing laundry the old fashioned way with, you know, by hands on boards and they're scrubbing them by hand and they're knelt over the water. And this is a process that takes, you know, hours every week for any woman to wash. But then Bell just, you know, doesn't really give it too much thought, but the thought occurs where, well, hey, how about I take all the laundry, put it into a old-fashioned barrel, and I tie that to a mule and put that over the water pool and just let the mule walk around in circles while I read. Yes, <laughs> And yes. then the onlookers look at her and say, well, see, see, Belle is a strange girl. What is she doing here with the laundry? Like, see, that was a great example of what made her weird and offbeat to them. Yes. And, and so that that was great, the way they kind of like balanced things out and gave uh, Belle a new twist by still playing, you know, honor to the original story. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's also a scene which establishes much more a different kind of a relationship where, you know, you, you're just in, in the animated film – you're just expected to understand that that Belle loves her father and they have a great relationship. But here, they the very first scene we get with Belle and her father is such a great scene where she walks up, she knows exactly what he's doing, and he's sort of doing this tinkering thing with his thing, with his uh, whatever, oh, his music box. And uh, she hands, she's got a tool in her hand for him, and she he goes, "Would you hand me? Ah, yes, that's the one." And then he's like, "No, no, not that. Oh, yeah, actually, that one." You know, it's such a great scene <laughs> that establishes this rapport that they have with each other as father and daughter. I mean, I just, I loved it. It was so great. And you gotta say, you know, I want to talk a little bit about like the experience of watching this. Because I remember watching Beauty and the Beast in the theater, and we watched it too many times. Mm, um, mm-hmm. When I was a child, there were two movies that were on the TV in our home too often. They were The Sound of Music and Love Beauty that and the film Beast. too. There are three things in my childhood that I got tired of, TJ. Oh, no. Don't say it. Burger King. Okay. The Sound of Music no! and Beauty and the Beast. No! Because... They were always in our house. They were every week there was Burger King and almost every week there was Sleeping Beauty and every week there was Sound of Music. Somebody Ah. wanted to watch them. Yeah. And until Toy Story came along. Mm, Okay. So there was four years of Beauty and the Beast. There was a small interlude with Aladdin and then there was an even smaller one with The Lion King and, you know, then Toy Story made everything right. (laughs) But – it was it was nerve wracking because I loved this movie, but you know the songs got stuck in your head so bad, the so oh, bad. I, I was love dreaming these songs. Sleeping Beauty and or Beauty and the Beast. I, I could not get it out of my head, man. Mm. And, uh, and so it was actually so it's a movie that I have watched very sparingly for the last two decades mm. because I've tried to avoid it to avoid you know getting those things stuck in my head. Like I still. I, I don't even want to have every little jot and tittle of that movie stuck in my head, but I still do. So this movie was refreshing because it was like 
replacing all of the old furniture that wasn't bad, but just something I was tired of looking at yeah. with a new take on the same thing. And so I like it for that reason that I, I have respect for the cartoon. Don't get me wrong. It was just, it was watched way too much. Yeah, I understand. I, I mean, cause I have, I certainly have certain Disney films uh, that are like that for me. This is just not one of them. And in fact, I, I saw it. I, I watched the animated film a couple weeks ago because we were going to record a podcast about it and then things didn't work out. Uh, I think that was when I was sick maybe. Anyway, um, but it's – you know I watched the animated film recently for the first time in probably 20 years or 15. You know, And it was you – know, it was really good. But then with that backdrop, I went and watched this film and it was just so much – it was just that much better. It was like, like like we've been saying, an expanded version. So it sounds like both of us appreciated it from different places, which is good. And one of the things I want to compliment the cartoon for is that I think that it did a lot of the work that this film took advantage of. And what oh, I mean yeah. by this is Beauty and the Beast has been around and it is a musical and it is a – a classic that people enjoy, but the Disney take on it was really fleshing things out in a, th- in a way that was necessary for screen because it seemed like Beauty and the Beast had struggled to hit the, all the high notes for a film adaptation before the cartoon version. And that film did it. It had incredible music numbers. It had endearing performances. Just, I can, I, I just love the persona of Lumiere. And yeah, Cogsworth. Yeah. And they, they're phenomenal. And, and this was also even a unique take on the villain, Gaston. Like he was in, in, in created oh, man. just for the Disney thing. And he was actually based on, uh, what was his name? Um, Bruno or something like that from the old uh, Sleepy Hollow cartoon hmm. by Disney from way back when in like the 40s or 50s. Okay, I'm not familiar. So uh, Braun Bones. I think that was his name. Brom Bones was uh, a rival for Ichabod Crane for the hand of another girl in the town of Sleepy Hollow. And it, it added all kinds of great comedy. And the, and the town that they had in that cartoon version for Sleepy Hollow with Ichabod Crane was also the look and feel for the – like a lot of the inspiration for Disney's Beauty and the Beast. So if you want to see like the – the inspiration for Gaston, you have to watch that cartoon and it's only like 20, 25 minutes long and they do a phenomenal job. And so if you think about Gaston, he, he's totally a Disney original and they did so well with him the first time and this time. And I'm not even a huge fan of Gaston. Like he really it gets under your skin and is unnerving. I don't like him. I, I couldn't stand to be in the same well, room so, with him. So my, my issues with Gaston were mostly from the cartoon where, where he he seemed like a very goofy and weird character. And then all of a sudden he kills Beast. And you're like – it's like <laughs> uh, I didn't see that character doing that. Because he was just so goofy. But what they did here, I mean, it's just like like everything in this film, they toned down the goofiness, which is still like the comedy is still there. But but what happens with with Luke Evans? Gosh, what a great performance! You get this sinister thing starting to come out of him almost immediately, and and it it, it starts a little goofy, and then it really turns sinister quickly. And then by the time you get to the Beast at the castle, you believe that this guy is it would kill Beast as as Bell is is uh, running to him. You know, you get like it yeah. makes so much sense. And in the cartoon, it was almost like. Oh well, he's the bad guy. He's gonna have to kill the beast. And here you you <laughs> uh, you you felt like it was leading up to this. You knew this was gonna happen. Yeah. 
Well, in the cartoon, Gaston is a dumb hunter who lives one day at a time yeah. for the fun of it all. And all he wants is the the wild, crazy adventure of life. And he wants all the niceties that he can have. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, this Gaston, he is really into his pride and his legacy. And he's very systematic about, I, I want everything on my list. I want the best town. I want the best people around me. I want the best achievements to my name. I want the best career. I want the best tools and I want the best wife. And he's just going down the list of like trying to check off everything on his list. So he thinks he deserves it. He is full of himself. He does love himself, but he's systematic in that there's, there's no accident. Like everything he did with Maurice in this movie, they change some of Gaston's relationship with Maurice in a more compelling and interesting way. Much more compelling, much more sinister. yeah, and it, it it definitely shows Gaston's hand. Like, he's only going to be nice to you so long as he can take advantage of you. Yes. And if he can't take advantage of you, then you're worthless to him and you ought to get out of his way if you don't want to get hurt. Yes. And they do a great job of writing that line so that Gaston is a far more consistent character and less silly and less just, you know, whatever it may be to make up the story. Yeah, well, he has this great scene, you know, the the kind of the confrontation scene between Gaston and Maurice and Gaston gets to gets to say to uh, I'm sorry Maurice gets to say to Gaston I will never let you marry my daughter and that like that is just so I'm 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 sitting there rooting for Maurice I'm like yes you know he said that at least one uh, twice in the movie I yeah think. yeah yeah and, and that's something no you, didn't, you didn't get from from Maurice in the cartoon at all he was just such a bumbling idiot and and here he's a very thoughtful caring and he knows exactly who and what Gaston is, and he's never going to let that happen. And you can and, see it, yeah, you can see it in Maurice's eyes. Like I know what you're up to. Yeah, exactly. And I don't care. Yeah. I'm not playing your game. Yeah, another part of this film that I really loved is right in the opening, you start getting a more expanded edition of the prince's story, and that is great because in in the, in the animated film, again, it's it's like how can we make this a better story? It's not like we just want to make money and so we're going to make a remake. It's like no, how can we make this a better story? And so you get this expanded version of how things went down between the prince and the uh, the sorcerer. And, or the sorceress and and it, it it's just it's so much better you understand what's going on you understand and then later in the film you get well yeah yes he was he was bad to do what he did but we kind of aided him in that as as members of this household like we didn't we didn't rein him in and his you know maybe his father was a bad man but that that's didn't no make excuse more sense. yeah yeah well you always wondered why is all the household being punished for his sins mm, yeah and this time around, you understand how they got roped into it. Yeah. Why the enchantress, you know, committed them to the same curse. Yeah. And, and, and additionally, like the stakes are higher in this film because it's not just that they're going to go on being these household items forever. It's like when the curse is, is, is finalized and, and he doesn't make the time, time frame that the sorceress has set, they're all going to become inanimate objects. And we actually see that happen. You know, because they take it a step further than the than the animated film did when when Beast dies and when the last petal falls. And and another thing that they fixed is like, well, he didn't really meet the deadline, so we just assume that the sorceress in the sky somewhere looked down and said, oh, close enough, and fixed it all. But here we see the sorceress coming to collect <laughs> yeah. on her debt. We see her walk up, and then we see her change of heart as she sees Belle weeping over the dead 
Uh, spoilers, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, as we see her weeping over the dead beast and we see her change of heart and we see it in her eyes that she she's like, yes, I am. So so it's the same story that, that somewhere somehow she decided to lift the spell, even though he didn't make the deadline. But we see it more implicitly and we see her looking on and we see exactly kind of what's going on there. You know, I I don't have a lot to add to what you just said concerning the household and their relationship to the beast and the curse and the enchantress. But I I do want to make a note on the enchantress that they they did expand on her as well. And it was just flawless that there was next to nothing about her. She was only a part of the prologue before. Mm -hmm. But then in this case, she shows up incognito in the village and then she winds up back at the castle for this this very important moment. And then she sees just enough to know that she can and should show the mercy. Yes. So then the way that she did that is consistent with the prologue, that she was showing up in incognito and then she was going to give them their just desserts. And so then here she comes back in incognito and then she shows a mercy because she sees that they are reformed. Like that, that was good. I, I liked that echo and that they even went so far as to give her a name. They called her Agatha. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was just like the idea of that was her alias. That was her, her Clark Kent name. Yeah. My impression was that she was living amongst the people and they didn't know who she was. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's extraordinary. I, I like that fine balance. And also the way that this was one of the other things that's like, if you get really into the head canon of the cartoon version, this isn't really important, but if you go there, then why is it that the people of the village did not know about the beast in his castle? Like it couldn't have been that far away from right, the village. Right. Well, this explains and all that. They gloss over that. Exactly. And they explain that like, well, the, the reason that the villagers didn't know about the cur- this place is because it was involved in the curse. Like that was part of the curse that they would forget. And basically the location of the castle would be blotted out from their memory and unlikely for any kind of traveler to, to stumble upon. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And and then the idea that there was a Mr. Potts that was in the town. Remember at the beginning of the movie, uh-huh. Belle uh-huh. is wandering through the streets and she sees the, isn't it the baker? And she turns him and is like, hey, is something wrong? And he's like, I, f- I have the strangest feeling that I've forgotten something. Yeah, yeah. I don't that remember was Mr. which Potts. character it was. But yeah, that, that was Potts. Yeah. That was Mr. Potts. And the reason that that even came up was because the payoff is at the end when the curse is lifted and all the villagers remember the castle and their prince. And they, then Mr. Potts is reunited with Mrs. Potts because he remembers her. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. I also want to point out that this puts a much finer point on a term that uh, that it was coined by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, called eucatastrophe. And and the story always was a eucatastrophe. The beast was dead, and then he came back to life. But this really puts a fine point on that. And I I just love that, like because eucatastrophe is much more than uh, just uh, oh things were bad and then they turned around. No, it's it's. Uh, it, <laughs> Eucatastrophe means things went beyond bad. They went to the yeah. worst place they could go. <laughs> things were not going to turn around, and then they did. And and that's oh, that's kind yeah. of what's going on in this film, and I love it. So uh, you cannot avoid well this very strong reaction that has cropped up concerning the performance of Belle. And, mm. and so let's talk about uh, Hermione Granger in <sighs> the yellow ball suit, you know. 
dress, yellow ball dress. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't think of a better person to have played Belle. I mean, sure, the accent is different from what Paige O'Hara had, but she, I mean, I, I almost, it's, it's, I suppose, a, uh, sacrilege for me to say that I almost like Emma Watson better as Belle than Paige O'Hara. And I know that's sacrilegious, but I, there it is. I, I really liked her performance as Belle. The only thing I, I have bad to say about her performance as Belle is not her fault. I feel like if they would have left her voice alone, that it would have been fine. But the auto-tune is a little overwhelming at first. And I just <laughs> – oh, it just killed it for me. It's like, is that what man, it was? Man, come on, guys. Whoever made that decision to make such noticeable auto-tune, I just want to strangle them because I didn't need that. <laughs> I didn't need it at all. It was so bad and it got better as time went on, but it, it kind of, I, I mean, and, and as the opening scene went on, I kind of forgot about it and got into the spirit because the music <laughs> is that good because Alan Menken's writing of that is so good. But when she first starts singing, it's so clear she's being auto-tuned and it just made me angry because nobody, <laughs> nobody can sing with the note pitch perfect perfection, not the best singer in the world. And they've auto-tuned that to such a point that I just wanted to strangle somebody. It was so irritating. Uh, not your favorite performance of a tune. Maybe, uh, maybe <sighs> Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe did better. No, well, this is way better than Russell Crowe. And Crow. Hathaway? Russell Crowe. Yeah, like, well, nobody's going to beat Anne Hathaway. Come on. Um, but Russell Crowe is terrible. Um, but but other than that, my, my Emma Watson was a great, great Belle. I really loved her as Belle. I mean, and yeah, I, you know, I've always I, loved Emma Watson as Hermione Granger too. But it's like, wow, what what happened to her? Our, our little Hermione, she's all grown up in a good way. Oh yeah. And, and what I was thinking was that I, I really do enjoy that Emma Watson seems really devoted to her craft on screen, and she mm-hmm. wants to nail these things, yeah. and she works hard. She gives all that she's got in her performances. You can see that ebb and flow and change in ways as she was Hermione as a child versus as a teenager. And and it seemed like she was really trying to nail down this archetype, this mythological character, this icon for young people today. Yeah. And she returns to that experience trying to capture a completely different kind of icon here. Well, it just and, it just shows to me what a great actress she really is. I mean, did you did, did you ever read the book, the Harry Potter books? Not yet. I'm okay. going to. Well, I cannot imagine a more perfect Hermione Granger. And I didn't know at the time whether that was because she had a great ability to act or whether it was because um, she was just well cast. Well, I think this film and her portrayal of the perfect Belle proves that she's just a really good actress. Okay, but I'm going somewhere with this. I just want to take two minutes to kind of express all my feelings about Emma Watson and Belle and the two of them together. Um, one thing I noticed was I did not notice the auto tune, but that does explain why I thought something sounded off and I couldn't put my finger on it. There was another thing that I noticed, and I don't know if this has more to do with the frame rate and the quality of the projection in the, the movie theater I saw it in. But there was this one point where Bella was trying to make sense of the mysteries in the castle and she was looking at something and Emma Watson cocked her eyebrow in this way like I'm intrigued and also, you know, trying to ponder what it is I'm looking at. What does this mean? Oh, does it mean this? And that look on her eyes was Emma until she cocked her eyebrow. And I don't think that Emma Watson can 
do it. Like, I don't think that she can humanly do (laughs) with her eyebrow what she did Uh. because I've seen her in so many other performances express so many ranges of emotion. I I think they CG'd her eyebrow. I would not put it past them, particularly in light of the auto-tuning, the overuse of auto-tuning they did. It would... Uh, but I didn't notice that. I, I don't remember what you're talking about, though. So I'm hoping things like that are better or softened up when I see it at home on a different kind of screen. Well, okay, so I would really yeah. love to get a version of this film on home video where they they've remixed it and they've. T- t- I don't mind auto tune used correctly because people, you know, they make mistakes and auto tune can kind of come in and with the right settings, you'll never notice it. But this was so noticeable. I want a mix of this film where it's not noticeable. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So one of the mainstream criticisms that I think is really a a mixed review of this film is Emma Watson's performance as Belle. Really? From what I've heard from yeah, from what I've heard from several sources, people are uh thinking that her performance is a little less than enchanting because they thought that Belle from the cartoon version was more expressive. And that she was more, she, she wore more of her attitude on her sleeve, that she was really uh, more opinionated, that she had evoked more personality with her facial expression. And th- this is generally the criticism that is coming uh, out for this film. That's so funny and, because I feel just the opposite. And I, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I don't agree with you. I, I think I see where they're coming from. But here's what I'm thinking. Even though what she has here to express feels, in, to me, very different from the cartoon version, I like it all. I like this Belle. I like her attitude. I like what she's thinking. I like how she invokes what she's thinking. I like her, her quality, her character. And, and the one thing that I think is kind of really hard to play out in an on-screen but it's something that I, I guess this is my headcanon. This is my headcanon concerning this film versus the other one. That I think that Belle may have my personality, in, like my type, you know, if you use Myers-Briggs or whatever. Maybe you don't pay attention to personalities. <laughs> uh, not, I mean, I think not like that. She, but here's, here's why. Because there are, most people show their, what they're thinking through their facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And I certainly do have expression. But one of the things that I'm often criticized for is something that I'm not feeling. And it's because people are reading my face. And oftentimes people think I'm thinking one thing that I'm not thinking at all. And this is actually consistent across the board with my personality type that people with my type are criticized for being misread because you don't know what we're thinking. You don't know, but you think you think that you know what we're thinking because of how you interpret other people's behavior and expression. Mm. And I don't, I'm not saying this was intentional. I'm not saying Emma tried to perform it this way. I'm not saying that this is what Disney was even thinking about, but it was what I noticed. I was like, Emma seems to be underperforming this character. At first I was thinking I would be annoyed by that or disappointed thinking, well, if, if if she's going to at least be on par with the cartoon version, she's got to really make up for it. She's got less and less of a movie time left to, to really show what she's got and like express this person. 
But then as the film went on, she was ebbing and flowing just right where it felt like Belle, but it felt like Belle with a different personality. And that was not a bad thing. And I was like, I relate to that character a little bit more. It's like, it's, it's, it's someone I relate to a little bit more Hmm. and that's just me. So it's like the way I turned that around, I turned something that was supposed to be a a con about the movie into something that was one of its highlights for me that, that I, I could get into Belle's head and understand, well, while everybody around me thinks I'm weird and off, I'm actually, I just have my own little world up here that people aren't able to read and they're not going to see it on my face. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's weird to me because I felt like I saw something completely different in Emma's performance, but that's fine. I mean, well, that's good. I'm, yeah. gl- I'm glad you, you certainly, you had a different view on it and that's, that's refreshing because I, I am tired of the critics. Yeah, me too. So um, the other things that I, I do want to talk about, it's in uh, starting in relation to what we've been talking about, the casting of Emma Watson. I also think that uh, the rest of the casting of this film was just so spot on. Again, we've talked about Maurice and how great he was. We haven't talked much about LeFou and Josh Gad, and I think that his performance <laughs> as LeFou was wonderful. Again, it was toned down from the film – from the animated version of 1991. But at the same time, I think Josh Gad captured the character in a way that was – True to the character, but much more believable in 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 a realistic sense. Yeah, and he's a silly guy who has he's kind of silly in his ways. He's just there for comical relief, and sometimes he ends up having an important plot point that it brings out more of Gaston's character. And so LeFou is there to make Gaston amplify, and that happens several times. But then LeFou in the cartoon, he was really just there to be part of the cheerleader for Gaston from beginning to end. Whereas LeFou has a character arc here and I thought it was more interesting. And, you know, I, I think this actor is pretty good. I like him in all the other performances I've seen him in. I, I love what he added to Olaf for Frozen. I'm a big Olaf fan. Mm. And I, that was, that was actually one funny thing was that because Olaf is such a new Disney character and it was the same voice. A couple of times I was annoyed that LeFou had the same voice because I was like, (laughs) like a part of my subconscious was like, where's the snow? There's no snow in the scene. I guess I, you know, I, I think that the performance transcended that, but I I could see that if you've, if you've seen frozen more than the two times I've seen it, then I, I think maybe I could see that. Yeah. So then of course, Luke Evans is Gaston again, perfectly cast. Uh, so great. Um, and, and yeah, do you have any, any other casting decisions to add? Uh, Emma Thompson was great too. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't really know much about the beast guy, uh, Dan Stevens. Well, and weren't you the one I, that recommended I start watching Legion? No, not me, hmm. but that does sound interesting. I, I'll check it out. Pretty sure that was you. Really? Yeah. Legion? I, I know I recommended Limitless. Maybe you were thinking about Limitless. Nope, nope. Oh, hmm. Must have been somebody else. Anyway, yeah, Dan Stevens is the beast. He was fine. Okay. I wouldn't call him a standout he, performance, but he was fine. No. He, but see, he seemed like he was the closest model of like a carbon copy of the cartoon character. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. With, with one slight alteration that my sister picked up on was that between all the different versions, all the incarnations of Beauty and the Beast, it seems like some versions of the Beast is just got a different like problem, a different shortcoming. Yep. So in one, it's that he's too angry. In another one, that he's too bitter. Mm-hmm. In, another, in another one, he is too fearful. 
and that's kind of screwing with him psychologically. In this one, it seems like the beast is just too cynical. Yeah. Um, I kind of like and, that. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was more, I don't want to say likable, but you could understand how Belle would come around on this guy. And if she can get underneath that exterior, well, then there's hope for And him. again, that is my, that is the one thing that if nothing else, I like the most about this movie is that I believed that Belle fell in love with this beast where I didn't really ever feel that way. I didn't believe it in the cartoon. Another thing that they, that felt different was the final showdown on the castle rooftop. Yes. Yes. It felt like they were definitely uh, consistent with the vibe of the cartoon, but that it was shorter uh, and a little bit simpler. Yes. And, and not as much to it. Not, I mean, certainly it was defying gravity and it was yeah. definitely dangerous, but it didn't feel like there was much involved in the choreography of Gaston attacking with his gun, Beast grabbing the gun, yanking it from his hands, growling at him. Then Gaston grabbing a knife and then yeah. stabbing the beast it in one way and then another. Me, yeah. yeah, it was like it felt more choreographed, whereas this one felt more like it was impromptu action. Yes, yes. But it was a little it was a little bit convenient for Belle to show up as quickly as she did on the horseback when she returned to the castle. Uh, I felt like that worked. Um, yeah. The only other thing I want to say about casting is I was disappointed that we didn't get more Cogsworth because I was looking forward so much to Ian McKellen as Cogsworth. I thought he was going to be such <laughs> a great Cogsworth, and we just didn't get much of him. They downplayed his lines too, mm-hmm. and I, I wondered if this was intentional. I know that Ian likes to toy with attributes of the characters he's embodying. Yeah. And if there was ever a a character you could uh, like alter because of how you embody him, it's Cogsworth. Yeah. Right. So if you think about like this, this older gentleman who runs the castle being turned into a mechanical clock that doesn't have a lot of like uh, mobility and flexibility and it's so constraining and it's cumbersome. You can understand why this guy would feel not and not just like demoted the same way that everybody else is, but he would in some way feel like inf- more so inferior and like he can't possibly fulfill his role. Whereas Lumiere felt like liberated compared to the others because he had legs, which, uh, you know, Lumiere in the cartoon version didn't. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, one, yeah. one final thing we're, we're starting to run out of time, but I do want to, we would, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the music. I have always loved the main theme, the, the overture theme, that kind of, or the prologue theme that that, that kind of overarches oh, yeah, everything. That, da, 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 yeah. da. So I really love that. And then in this film, this version of the score, you know, you have Alan Menken returning, and it's he's he's like somehow he has evoked more emotion out of that score. Uh, he he's added in a lot of cello, which I love cello, and he's really just brought something out in that that is even even better that I like more. And then there's there's a couple obviously some new songs. The standouts to me um, were Evermore, which is such a great song from Beast, which uses parts of that of that prologue over over theme, so it uses that. And then there's um, there's one uh, How Does a Moment Last Forever that uh, Bell sings. Um, and in all in all, I, I just thought that the music was so well done in this film. I quite agree. Uh, and I was glad that it wasn't beat for beat all the same yeah, songs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed the new additions. I, I can't think of any new additions that I thought fell out of place or that I, I was taken aback by or thought that just didn't belong. I felt I thought that it worked really well. 
And and I, I you know again that's because they brought back they didn't they didn't bring in some second rate guy or or even just some really good guy but that didn't have the same vision they brought the guy back and said you know what you had this vision now expand upon it and do something great with it and he 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 delivered man he really delivered. So one other thing that's uh, a triple uh, it, it's 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 nothing serious. How do you feel about the CG beast? Um, I thought it was fine. I, I felt like all of the uh, the entire film had this fanciful quality about it that it, it all worked for me. I know some people are complaining about it. I didn't really notice any issues, and and I, I I didn't want to notice any issues. And I felt like anything that felt fanciful and unrealistic kind of worked with the story because it's a fanciful tale and it's a it's a fairy tale. So I was fine with it. And I was okay with how they did his head dressing and his face. Yeah, it was yeah. more so like his body when you see him laying in the bed and you just see his hairy chest and shoulder and back and neck. And I was like, you know, it's it's not like you really put a lot of effort into that. It just kind of looks like a man with extra muscles and he's just hairy all over. And again, I was fine with that. And the, and the thing, you know, that I, I realized too is we're still, you know, we've come a long, long way in CGI replication, but we're we still – we still have trouble replicating things that need to to move and look real and have movement across. Like you know, it's one thing to to do starships and and you know space battles and things because all those things are kind of objects that move around, but they, they them, those objects themselves don't have you know subtle movements about their body. Yeah, but right. but we still have trouble with CGI replicating the actual movements of physical flesh, and and I think that's what you're dealing with and seeing with the beast. Well, and hair is a very tricky thing. It is very tricky. Something like Monsters Incorporated with Sully, they can make the hair look so real in a in a way. In a way, because but but, but would that yeah. look, but would that hair look real on a real person in, in a movie exactly. like this? Right. If you took Sully from the Monsters world and you made him into an augmented reality movie, you put Sully in the real world. I think it'd be pretty clear that he is inferior to anything in the real world. He wouldn't even look as good as a Muppet. Mm-hmm. Or a Sesame Street character <laughs> right. with hair. Yeah. Like you would need hair as convincing as a Muppet. And, and even Sully would look like he was CG. Yep. And it can't kind of comes off with the Beast. I wish that there was a way that they could fudge on that and they could use more like uh, prosthetics and like, you know, f- a real suit that looked more yeah. like it was made by See, hand. See, I, I kind of come at this from another direction. I am just – I am so elated that our technology has come so far that we can tell stories like this because if you think about I, – I, I, I'm of the opinion that any rendition of the Beast without the help of our modern CGI would never have looked as good despite the flaws that, that, that may carry now. I think that it looks better this way. I think you are absolutely right concerning the head. They could not have possibly done a better job with the head. It's just the body. I wish they, I think that they could have maybe pulled off something better if they had like a body suit. Hmm, maybe. Well, that's all my thoughts and feelings. Okay. Well, do you want to give us kind of your rundown, your wrap up, your final thoughts, your rating? So I feel really good about this movie. I mean, it's, I mean, as far as fairy tales go and princess stories go, it's something I will enjoy watching with a family and it hit all the high notes. It's uh, lovely. And it's nice to return to a story that I'm, you know, I say that I was tired of, but at the same time, very fond of from childhood. Mm. And, and I do enjoy seeing Emma Watson doing a, fam- a fabulous job. And I do like new musical numbers and 
among the more recent Disney pictures, one of my fa- new favorites is the Cinderella film. Mm, yes. It's uh, that is far and away now one of my favorite Disney films. Agreed. Totally. And I feel very strongly about what Disney is trying to capture with their live action stuff. I, I think that they're so good in general that they do a wonderful job of taking the place of the cartoon classics for me personally. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is like applicable to like the hall of fame of movies and everybody should agree with me, <laughs> right? but the cartoons are demoted for me. They're, they're great for what they did for an era, but if Disney were coming out with cartoon Disney Cinderella's and beauty and the beasts today, I, I don't think that they would matter as much to me. Yep, and yep. I'm speaking as a, you know, uh, an, an adult, a guy, and I watch these movies with my kids now. So that's why these films come up. And I, my kids have already seen it twice. They loved it both times and they're looking forward to seeing it again. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter is going to see it uh, with her friend and uh, my wife and uh, her friend's mom. They're, g- they're going to go out for some kind of a party next week. So I'm looking forward to seeing, but I, I suspect she will love it. Um, for, for, for as far as my part, uh, my feelings on this film, um, I mean, you've pretty much heard me just praise and praise and praise this film, and and that's kind of, I mean, that's basically it. I just, I love this film. I I was enamored and elated from start to finish, um, and all the other adjectives that you can think of to throw in there. I think that uh, this is Enchanted. right up there with Cinderella. I loved the new Cinderella, and and that's the one. I, I feel like we might have talked about this on the Movie Bite podcast or something like that. Where she, my daughter, I remember she was just in the theater on the edge of her seat and she would clap at the right places and she was just so excited about it. And I felt the same way about this one that I did about Cinderella, which is that, the you know, and, and again, it gave us an expanded version of the story, a refined version of the story. It was well cast. Emma Watson was a great belle. It had great music, great new additions to the to, to the same general score from Alan Menken, revisions on his score and – um it gave us an expanded look at the Beast's story, and uh, it gave us uh, a great finish. Uh, and, and, and it gave us more than we got in the cartoon at the end, too. Or you know, it just it gave us more. It, it it gave us a great look into the world. And so I have to say, four and a half out of five stars. I loved it that much, and I'll I'll be watching nice. it again and again. And for me, uh, I love the animated cartoon, but because of some of the shortcomings, the short you know, it was only ninety minutes. We didn't get enough story to really make me believe that Belle fell in love with the beast. Whereas in this film, I feel like we got it. I'd have to say this supersedes the the cartoon version. And I, again, I, I understand if you call me a heretic and think that's sacrilege, I totally get it. Uh, but for me, that's the way this movie felt. I didn't give a star rating. I, I'm, I'm going to put one out there. I, I may change this over time, but I'm feeling like I'm somewhere between four and four and a half stars. Nice. But I'm wavering on that. I'm going to go with a solid four for now That's ex- with, a, with a two thumbs up. That is totally acceptable and believable, and I will allow it. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Thank you so much for uh, listening with us, and I hope that you enjoyed the film as much as we did. And I hope you enjoyed us yammering about it as much as we enjoyed yammering about oh. it. And I hope if you haven't seen the film, you will be convinced now to go see it because it really is a great – You know, there's been various controversies about it, this and that, uh, controversies among – you know, people who didn't like Emma's uh, performance to those who didn't like Josh Gad's performance. But, you know, I really enjoyed this film and I hope that you will go and enjoy it as well. 
You can find the show notes for all the things that we talked about. I'll put links in the show notes to various things. Uh, I guess we didn't really talk about anything that deserves a link except for, you know, we'll put the trailer in there and IMDb page and stuff like that. So you can find those at nightowl.fm slash retake slash 25. And you can find retake. uh, Well, actually, you can find Night Owl on Twitter at Night Owl FM. Joe, where can people find you on the Internet? As always, I am JCS Darnell on Twitter, and I'd love to strike up a conversation with you about this film. Yeah, and I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter, and I love to talk about films and movies on Twitter and anything else, so feel free to hit me up there as well. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a blast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, TJ. Ta-ta. Cheers. Cheers.